Good morning. How is everybody? <laughs> you guys are awfully quiet this morning. Uh, there are a few things going on at Greater Alton. You guys might be quiet, but I am not. Uh, so we have camp coming up. Yeah, camp. We have camp coming up. I want to tell you guys about something cool that happened last Sunday. Last Sunday, we had a Nerf war in here with the high schoolers. And we had, and middle schoolers, I would say there was like 30 kids in here, in this room, and uh, we shot each other with Nerf darts. Alright, so I threw Levi some bullets I found in the back. You can get those later. He wasn't even paying attention. Uh, But but there are some really fun things happening up here. Uh, Right now, in the back, with the little kids in Discovery Land, I don't know if you've all got to see it. I didn't get to see it until this morning. They took one of the classrooms and they made an underground cavern. An underground cavern is so cool. Nate's like, come here. Now don't break anything because he knows me. Because I break stuff. That's just what I do. And there's this itty bitty little cave you crawl through. Perfect for little people. Not Mike D accessible so much. But I made it without breaking it. And you go in this, this room and it's like there's roots coming out of the ceiling and there's light little glow lights and there's a puppet show in the back why am i preaching today because this is going to be awesome but you guys have to put up with me instead i'm sorry we could all be back there looking at a puppet show there's there's some pretty fun things coming up at greater alton and if you want to know more about what's coming up talk to your small group leaders talk to somebody out here there's stuff in our bulletins there's a lot of fun things coming up um we're in a sermon series called the 12 and uh tim has been looking at disciples obviously the 12 uh he wants to talk about john or uh he wants to talk about paul as well and we were sitting there one day he's like but i said it's the 12 how am i gonna do paul i'm like the baker's dozen and i thought that was clever he thought it was clever so there's probably gonna be 13 lessons in this 12 lesson series but we're okay with that right we're enjoying the sermon series i've been enjoying the sermon series i'm excited about it i hope you all are too um, I, I need some, I'm, I'm going to need you to send me some energy last night. I was given tickets to the blues game. Oh no, I cannot go back. My favorite player got hurt last night. It was, oh, so we're going to have fun today, right? We're going to have a good time. Uh, we are talking about John today. Now, I don't know how many of you know about John. He's, he's a popular guy in scripture. He wrote a lot of the new Testament. He wrote a gospel. He wrote three epistles. He wrote the book of Revelation. Um, he, he's kind of a big deal. And he's one of Jesus's like go-to guys. He's one of the three close circle of guys. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about John before we get into the lesson today. This is weird, holding a microphone. I'm not used to this. I'm sorry. I, I, I like talking with my hands. So we're going to figure this out today. So John first appears in Scripture as a fisherman. But he is the disciple of John the Baptist. He's not, he doesn't start off being called as the disciple of Jesus. He starts off as a disciple of John the Baptist. And at one point, Jesus walks past John the Baptist, and John the Baptist goes, there's the Lamb of God. And John, along with Andrew, get up, and they start following Jesus. They're just like, bye. And they go follow Jesus. John's not offended by that, because that's what they're supposed to do. 
That's what you're, we, that's what we are supposed to do. Here's, here's a little point that's not in my lesson. We're supposed to follow Jesus. Some of you are like, duh. Uh, yeah, I need simple answers. I need simple points. I'm supposed to follow Jesus. John knew he was supposed to follow Jesus. And then he spends the next three years following the Messiah, following the King, following Jesus. That's nuts to me. That's like he got to spend time with Jesus. And not just like nine of the other disciples had with Jesus. He got to spend intimate time with Peter and his brother James with Jesus. We see in scripture that John is not a soft, easygoing man either. How many of you guys know fishermen, like fishermen, who are like gentle and kind and use good language and don't embellish the truth? And my grandpa was a fisherman. He could fish. My grandpa was not a soft man. I love my grandpa, but he was not a soft man. He didn't become soft until he had grandkids. And the one day I told, we were playing around, he did something. I was like, you make me sick. And every one of the my parents and aunts and uncles were like, we're about to lose a grandchild. That's what they thought. And then he just started laughing, and everybody thought I broke grandpa because he was not a soft man. John is not a soft man. In the book, The Twelve Ordinary Men by John MacArthur, he describes John as intolerant, ambitious, zealous, explosive, aggressive, self-assertive, impertinent, and intolerant. All qualities that describe Jesus. Right? No. None of those qualities describe Jesus. None of those qualities describe somebody who follows the King, the Lord, the Messiah. We see in Luke chapter 9, and this is going to be up on the screen. We see in Luke chapter 9, John, James, and Peter get to witness the transfiguration of Christ. It is literally a mountaintop experience that no one has experienced since Moses. They see God. They hear God. And they're like, holy, oh my gosh, this is... Whoa. And they're like, oh, we should build like tents and stuff. So you guys can, and then all of a sudden it's gone. And he's like, okay, so we're not going to talk about this for a little while. And they're like, oh, and they come down off this mountaintop experience. And it says, then the disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest, but Jesus knew their thoughts. So he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on behalf, on my behalf, welcomes me and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me whoever is least among you is the greatest okay so i try to imagine these guys like normal everyday humans not like what we usually think the saints of the bible are and if you were one of the three who got to see and hear god on top of that mountain experience wouldn't you come down that mountain looking at the other nine disciples like, what's up, losers? I, okay, I, I know I would. I would feel a little bit more special. Like, huh, Jesus likes me more than you. Sorry. That's just me, right? That's just me. Maybe I'm the only sinner in the room, um, but that's just me. 
And so it talks about immediately they start arguing over who's the greatest. All 12 disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. But we all know there was three up on that mountain. So they got a little leg up on the competition. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, how many of you parents are sitting in the front seat of a car, you can't hear the argument in the back seat, but you know the body actions? And like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Nothing. We're not talking about nothing. We don't know what you're talking about. Whatever. You're arguing about something. Y'all better quit it out before I pull off my sandal and smack you with it. That's just me. That's not what Jesus did. Instead of, like, threatening them, he goes, hey, look at this little kid. Look at this sweet, innocent little kid. Kids are dirty and annoying. I'm a parent. I can say that. Look at this kid. If you welcome this person, you've welcomed me. If you have patience with this person, you're working on my behalf. Suddenly the 12 disciples are like, gosh dang it. And he's like, Anybody who's the least is going to be the greatest. Jesus is saying, hey, you've got to be servants of everybody. And so the disciples who have just been arguing about, hey, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. I got to be on the top, on the, on the mountain of transfiguration. I saw God. They're like, oh, God, why would you do that? That just made my life harder. Okay, so so we see he's really humble, right? I don't think any of the disciples were humble at this point. Jesus is working on their humility. Has Jesus ever worked on your humility? Every day, Jesus works on my humility. I, Like I said, I have children. Every day, I have to learn to be gentle with my daughters because I'm not. Cassie is always talking, like, I think this morning. This morning you said something. Yeah, this morning I'm trying to walk out the door because my head is mush and I want to focus on the sermon. And Cara's throwing a fit. I want to go with you. You're not even out of bed. And I'm like, oh, I gotta get ready for this. And Cassie's like, you're really gonna go preach about love this morning. Yeah, I gotta work on that. Okay, let's fast forward a little bit and, um, just a few verses in Luke chapter 9. A few verses later, we see the disciples meet some opposition from a Samaritan village. It says, at the time, or as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? That's not how they probably said it. They're like, Jesus, we need to call down fire and burn these people. They just insulted you. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. No, we're not going to call a missile strike on a Samaritan village because they didn't want me to come into their town. We're just going to go to another town. We're going to go to another village that wants me there. How many times have you wanted to call a missile strike in on somebody because they were mean to you? I haven't necessarily thought I'm going to call a missile strike in on somebody, but there were times I'm like, boy... You don't know who you're talking to. Again, MacArthur described John as intolerant, ambitious, zealous, explosive, aggressive, self-assertive, impertinent, and intolerant. John was a good Jewish boy. 
Good Jewish boys were not supposed to like Samaritans. One of my favorite passages in all scripture, I'm going to talk about it later. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. It was a Jewish, not law, but a custom. You were supposed to keep yourself separate from the Samaritans. And they had historical reasons, but that's what you were supposed to do. And Jesus sent them to a Samaritan village to get ready for Jesus. Could we just assume that the disciples were probably not the nicest people to the Samaritans of that village? I'm just going to put that out there. No wonder they didn't were already aggressive towards the disciples, towards Jesus. But to call in a missile strike on a town, let's burn them. Jesus wants to work on his humility. Again, we see, again in Luke chapter 22, they are, it's the night before Jesus is going to die. It's Jesus is about to get arrested. And it says, then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Common theme here amongst our disciple friends. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves. The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You see, the disciples are arguing again. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus, again, has to tell them, essentially, essentially, I speak different than Jesus. He tells them, shut up. You need to be the lowest. You need to be a servant of all. You need to serve the lost. You need to serve the people you don't like. You need to serve, fill in the blank. See, John is known as the apostle of love. Have you felt the love so far? I haven't. But he's also called the son of thunder. He's one of the sons of thunder. I felt the thunder. I thought... It was clever. I don't know if anybody else is a nerd in here and caught the title. The title is John, Thunder to Love. There's a Thor movie coming out called Love and Thunder. I was like, oh, yeah, I can be, it'll be really cool. And then the more I'm studying, I'm like, it's not really cool because, John, you shouldn't be a son of thunder. I mean, Jesus wants you to love. I'm glad you finally eventually get it, which we'll get there. But, man, it took you a long time. That night, after Jesus tells them, hey, you need to serve, We read in Mark 14, verses 50 through 52, then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. The passage goes on to say, one young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. I only add that because it shows how desperate the disciples were to get away from the cops. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever ran from the cops? Have you ever ran out of your clothes to get away from the cops? I don't think, I hope nobody in this room has ever ran out of their clothes to get away from the cops. If you have, come find me later and tell me the story, please. But Jesus got just got done saying, you need to serve people. And they've been saying for three years, you're the Messiah, you're the King, you're the Lord, we're going to follow you anywhere. Cops show up and like, 
dip, and they ran. They left their Lord, all of them, John included. In my opinion, this is, this is me, this is the turning point for John. You can argue turning points, but this moment, in between what happens here and where we next find John in the story, is a turning point for John. Um, again, I don't speak like Jesus. I don't speak like Tim or Alan or Gary. I speak like Mike D. I talk to teens, so take that with a grain of salt. John realized he's a piece of crap. I have been to that point before where, you know what? I'm dirt. That's where I'm at. And we see in John 19, throughout the, throughout John's, throughout John's gospel, we see John show back up. He doesn't call himself John. He says like, another disciple or the disciple whom he loved. He's the one that gets Peter into the high priest's house. He shows back up. We all know Peter showed back up because then he denies Christ and he runs away crying. But John showed back up with Peter, got Peter in the high priest's house, goes through the whole thing. And in John 19, we find Jesus on the cross. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. He's there. He's there when no other disciple was. We see after the the crucifixion and the burial, we find in John chapter 20 that women had gone to the tomb and found the stone rolled away, and they ran back to the disciples to tell them. And in John chapter 20, verses 3 through 5, it says, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. I love this story. Let me tell you why I love this story. John still has a little bit of a, I'm better than you in his little tone here. You can catch it because it says they both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John just won a foot race and wanted us all to know. I love that. I love that. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. I just love that story. I had to add it. Because this is a little dig. Peter, you're older than me. I'm faster than you. Come on, that's funny. Um, John doesn't, this isn't the last time we see John either. We see John walking at the beach with Peter and Jesus. And, and Jesus is reinstating Peter. And he's talking about Peter, will you feed my sheep? Will you take care of my lambs? And he does it three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. And then... Peter's like, wait, what about this guy? And there was another disciple walked behind him. We all know it was John and Peter, John, Jesus is like, what's it to you? What I have planned for him. Then we get to Acts. Did you know in the book of Acts, John is never talked about being alone. He's all, when he shows up in the book of Acts, he is always with another disciple. That's a little free tidbit. I have no idea what to do at that point. It was just something that stood out to me in my studying 
Christianity is not made to be walked alone. Even John and Peter needed each other. John is never alone in the book of Acts. In Acts 4, 13, John and Peter are standing up talking. And the Pharisees are astounded. And they say, they're just ordinary, unschooled men. I would love for somebody to look at me and say, that's an ordinary, unschooled guy. You all might be thinking that right now because I went to school to be a photographer. I run a sheet metal shop and I work with a youth ministry. Figure that one out. God's got a sense of humor. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're looking at Peter and John and like, they're just ordinary, unschooled. But they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. They knew that. And another free little tidbit, the word there for ordinary and unschooled is idiotes. That's a Greek word. Guess what it means? The word means they're idiots, but they were with Jesus. I so want somebody to look at me one day and be like, you're an idiot, but you're with Jesus. I'm okay with that. I will be an idiot for Jesus all day long. And sometimes I'm up here, I make myself an idiot. It's okay. It's okay as long as you hear and see Jesus. That's what John and Peter wanted. They wanted people to see and know Jesus. We get to his epistles and he starts writing the churches. In John, or first John, sorry, first John. There's a lot of Johns in, in the New Testament. John is the gospel. First, second, and third John are the epistles. I gotta make sure I say first John. In first John 4, 16 through 21, it says, we know how much God loves us. And we've put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And we live in God. Our love, or I'm sorry, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with the confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And it shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we do not love people we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must must also love their fellow believers. I hope at the beginning of this lesson, I have shown you a change in John's heart. He went from the guy who wanted to call a missile strike on a Samaritan village to saying, God is love. And if someone hates a fellow believer, God is not in them. Love is not in them. They are a liar. We must love. That is a huge, huge change in this man. God has deepened his love so much. I, Many times in my life, I have said that I want to love people like Christ does. You know the problem with that is when I say that, God puts somebody in my life that's hard to love, and I have to try to love them like Christ does, and I fail. A lot. I fail a lot. People are hard to love. They do dumb stuff. 
They're selfish. They're, you fill in whatever blank you have that makes them hard to love. And the problem is, is I am that way too. I am dumb. I am selfish. I'm fill in the word. I'm not gentle. I'm uncaring. I'm unsympathetic. I'm brash. There's, there's so many words that describe me that make me hard to love. Yet there are people here who love me like Jesus loves me. So today I want to talk about how is Jesus taught John how to deepen his love. How is Jesus, how is Jesus going to teach me to deepen my love? How can I love like Jesus? Well, this is going to be difficult because once you start looking at this, Jesus is going to start working on your heart. Sometimes that's really, really hard. Like, I don't want to do this anymore hard. Like, I don't want that person around me anymore hard. So once we start looking at this, hold on. Because God's going to start working on your heart. First thing. First thing Jesus is going to do to help me deepen my love is Jesus is going to put me around hard-to-love people. Jesus is going to put me around hard-to-love people. There are people at work that are hard for me to love. There are people in this church that are hard for me to love. There are people everywhere that are hard for me to love. There are people in my home that are hard for me to love. Sometimes. The dog is really hard to love. But it's the same for everybody, right? There are people at your at your job, at your school, at your home that are hard to love. And you're like, Mike, I live by myself. I stand by what I said. God is going to put you around hard to love people. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Mike, you're talking about John. Why are you reading the passage that Matthew gets called? Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector. The Jews hated tax collectors, yet this Jew became a tax collector. He worked for the Romans, the enemy of the Jews. Am I getting anywhere close to why John would not like this man? John and Matthew would not be friends outside of Jesus. There are people in my life I am friends with I would not be friends with outside of Jesus. There are people I call family, my children's aunts and uncles, that I would not be friends with outside of Jesus. <laughs> Shoe fits, wear it. Outside of Jesus, John and Matthew don't get along. Funny story. Funny story. There are four gospels in the book, in the Bible. Guess which one does not record the calling of Matthew? The book of John does not record the calling of Matthew. The other three do. I love that. When you study scripture and you find little nuggets like this, it just makes me love God more. Makes me love God more because he includes this stuff. If if I was starting a, a religion, I wouldn't put the negative stuff. Like, all of my disciples get along great. We love each other. Yes, you have to include Matthew in your gospel. 
No, don't leave it out. Yet John still leaves it out. I love that. Jesus put John in situations where he had to love unlovable people. Yes, he put Matthew in the 12. That's one. John chapter 4, my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. They go to Samaria, and it says Jesus had to go to Samaria. He didn't have to go to Samaria. He had to go to Samaria like to get to Gorilla Car Wash. I have to go out to 111 up and down. I could go this way, and it's quicker. But Jesus had to go that way, right? There was a choice. There was another way to get to where he was going without going through Samaria. The reason he had to go through Samaria is there was a woman waiting at a well for him. She's a Samaritan woman. She's alone. She's a sinner. The Jews would consider her unclean. Yet Jesus, a rabbi, has to go talk to this woman. And I told you before, John was a good Jewish boy. All the disciples were. And they were like, mm, unclean, mm, can't be by you, nope. And they have to leave to go get Jesus' food because Jesus says, I'm hungry. And they can't get food in Samaria because you can't get food from Samaritans. So they have to leave Samaria to get Jesus' food. And when they get back with the food, they're like, here's your food. And Jesus is like, I'm not hungry. Because in the meantime, Jesus has been talking to this woman, and he, oh my gosh, just read the story. It's beautiful. And she's like, I have to go tell everybody. And as she's leaving to go back to town, the disciples are walking past her. She's like, I have to tell everybody because this man knows everything I've ever done. And they're like, we got your food. I'm not hungry. That's not why I'm here. All the Samaritans come and Jesus teaches them and the disciples have to work with Samaritans. That's hilarious. I love it. I love God. I love the fact that he does this to his disciples. There were lepers. Jesus touched lepers. The chosen shows this so beautifully. If you guys, I love the chosen. Some of you haven't seen it. I suggest watching it. If if it's free, you can get the app and watch it. It's amazing. But there's a scene where a leper approaches Jesus and some of the disciples pull knives on him. To get him away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, whoa, dude, and walks up and hugs him. You don't hug a leper. But when Jesus is done, he's clean. He's healed. He's whole. Jesus put John and the other disciples around these people. There were prostitutes. That's the nice church way of saying it. There were prostitutes. John had to be around. There were Pharisees John had to be around. There were Romans John had to be around. John had to be around all these people. Jesus put him around hard to love people. Now, I want you to think in your head, who is your Samaritan? Who is your hard to love person? And don't look at them. Keep that inside. I may have just looked at my wife and closed my eyes. I apologize. I'll make up for that later. She's looking at me, so it's fair. <laughs> Who is your hard-to-love people? I'm, I'm sure there's more than one, right? There's probably more than one. Hey, guess what? Guess where Jesus wants you to grow? How is Jesus going to deepen your love? He's going to put you around those people more. You're going to avoid them. You're going to avoid them like the plague, and you're going to be shopping at Walmart one day, and you're like, "Hey, really?" So that's what God does. If you ask him to work on your heart, he's going to. 
So the first thing Jesus is going to do, he's going to he's to teach me to deepen my love. He's going to put me around those hard to love people. The second thing is he's going to constantly, I add this word constantly in your blank. It's not going to be on the screen. He's going to constantly remind me that love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. So I was working on the sermon and I had a completely different point here. And I was talking to somebody and I asked them to read over my sermon. They sent me back some ideas and this little sentence that was just a throwaway sentence that he's just like, ah, it's just a thought and just take it where you, it messed with me for a week. I had to talk to him twice about this. It messed with me. He said, love is greater than the law. And I said, I can't say that on stage because I don't believe it. That messed with me. I'm sitting here getting ready to talk to you guys about how Jesus is going to deepen your love and he's going to do this and this and this. And it's great because that's easy for me to talk about these things, right? And then he said, love is greater than the law. And I went to write it and I physically could not write it down because I didn't believe it. And so I spent three days, (laughs) three days on one sentence this past week. Jesus reminds me that love fulfills the law. And I told you to put constantly because that's where I'm at this week. Jesus constantly reminds me that love fulfills the law. Look in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. That's why Jesus said he came. Do you know God's reason for sending Jesus? We all know that passage. John three sixteen. Oh, it's in John. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Love sent Jesus to fulfill the law. Love is greater than the law. And that still, I'm up here talking to you guys. That still is messing with me. It is so messing with me because growing up, I was a good little kid. I had to follow the rules. And that transferred over into my Christian life. It is good to follow the rules. Do not hear me say anything else. It is okay to follow rules, right? We should follow rules. The speed limit is there for a reason. But if all I had was rules, would I know Jesus? I'm telling you, it's messing with me. I would love to say that I can come up here and preach because I have it all together. But I also like to say that I'm an ordinary, unschooled individual who loves Jesus. Far too often as Christians, we're hung up on the rules. Far too often, I am hung up on the rules. You see, Jesus never broke the law. He lived a perfect life. 
He was sinless. Yet love and mercy and grace was more important to him than the law. The law is good. Did you know we have the law because God loves us? He wanted a relationship with us after we screwed up the world. He still wanted a relationship with us. And to have that relationship, he gave us the law. And Paul says, before I knew the law, I was all hunky-dory. But then the law came and sin sprang to life and killed me. The law didn't kill him. His sin killed him. The law was given out of love. Because God wanted a relationship with us. A lot of times people have a problem with God because they think the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament because the God of the Old Testament is all fire and brimstone and the God of the New Testament is all love. That is false and a lie. I was talking to a student and they were like, God kills so many people in the Old Testament. And I go, true. So how could you say God is love? I go, let's look at a timeline of when God killed people. How many years existed between the Israelites sinning here and them going into captivity? And how many times did they repeat that sin throughout history? There's a lot of time in there. There's a lot of time in there. Yes, they were punished a few times in there and people did die. But they didn't get kicked out of the promised land for thousands of years. I do not have that kind of patience with my children. I used, I, I need to work on my patience. That's a, that's a point in my life I am far too aware of. God has so much more patience. It just looks like God is always like casting fire and brimstone because there's so much, in, there's so much time in the Old Testament and you get to the New Testament. We got like what, 30 years worth of records in there? Is that about right, Bob? Okay. Between the Gospels and Revelation, there's like 30 years. Old Testament's thousands of years all condensed. Yes, it may look like God is all vengeful in the Old Testament, but God is love, just like John said in 1 John. God is love, and he's the same God now as he was in the Garden of Eden. God loves us. He loves us so much he gave us the law, and then he knew, you guys are dumb. You guys can't do this. I'm going to send my son. And out of love, he sends his son to fulfill what we could not do. God is going to constantly remind you that love fulfills the law. There's a, there was a time in the New Testament where it was the Sabbath, and the disciples were walking, and as they're walking, they just take some heads of grain and pop them in their mouth. And the Pharisees see this, and they're like, You broke the law! You broke the Sabbath! And Jesus is like, what? They took heads of grain and put it in their mouth. That, that breaks our Sabbath laws. And Jesus says this in um, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He said, then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying the law is there for you, not you for the law. Jesus' love, Jesus came and fulfilled every requirement of the law. He lived a perfect life. He is our unblemished lamb who was sacrificed. His blood was poured out like a drink offering. 
and he died bearing our sins. Because we broke the law, he took it all on him, and he died. Love fulfilled the law. The beautiful thing is, is he did not stay dead. He rose up out of that grave and conquered death and took the keys of death. And now we can live forever with him. Do you guys believe that? Do you, every day, do you believe that? Because like I said, I got, this shook me. Just thinking that love is greater than the law. I never thought of it that way. Yes, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. That's that's great to read it. That's great to read it. It's another thing to believe it. It's another thing to live it. That love constantly fulfills the law. So how does that apply to us? So how does that apply to us? Well, how many times? I want everybody to look at the floor. Just go with me on this. That way you have no possible way to look at somebody. And, you know, while you're looking at the floor, you might see a stain on the floor. How many times have we watched somebody knock over their coffee in the church building and we're like, in their, in their, in our heads, in our heads, not out loud, not out loud. It's never out loud, but it's in our heads. Or, or how many times have we seen little kids run around out in the small dome and we're like, not out loud in our heads. I do it out loud. Um, but those are simple, silly little things, right? Those are simple, silly little things. I want to learn how to love sinners and hate sin. I don't have it yet. I don't love like Jesus yet. Every day of my life, I'm going to try to continue to love like Jesus. And every day of my life, I'm going to fail because I ain't perfect. But every day, I'm going to try. Every day, I'm going to learn to have a little bit more grace. And I'm going to fail. There's going to be times where I fail every day. Every day I want Jesus to remind me that love fulfills the law and I've been given grace and I've been given salvation and that other people need it too. And I need to extend the love that's been given to me, to the people around me, to my family, my church family, the lost, my coworkers. Every day. Every day. Constantly, I have to be reminded, love fulfills the law. Because without that, God's not going to deepen my love. Jesus can't work on my heart because I'm going to be angry at people around me. How can they do that if they claim to be a Christian? How can they do that? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm not making fun of anybody. This is my internal monologue, okay? So don't think, oh, you're talking about me. Nope, this is all that goes on inside of here. It's only Mike. I'm only talking to me today. Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The law was made so I could have a relationship with God, but I can't uphold the law. So God had to send Jesus out of love to fulfill the law. Jesus will constantly remind me that love fulfills the law. And I'm still going to work on that. The last thing. (sighs) 
I want to deepen my love. Oh, sorry, I missed the passage. I really want to read this. John 8, 10 through 11. I really want to read this. This is another one of my favorite passages. And some people are like, it's not in all the scripture. I don't care. It sounds like Jesus. I believe it was Jesus. It's in my Bible, so I'm going to read it. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is the woman caught in the act of adultery. I'm going to keep it PG-13, but if you're caught in the act of adultery, are you kind of like John Mark who ran out of his clothes? You're not really fully clothed? The one person who could have stoned this woman because Jesus said, if you have, if you are without sin, throw the first stone. The one person who could have thrown the first stone didn't. I want you to hear this. I didn't come up with this. I'm, I, I stole it because it was somebody way smarter than me wrote it down and I wrote it down too. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth has no character. It's hypocrisy. We have to find a balance between love and truth. We have to love sinners and hate sin. We have to love sinners and hate sin. We don't allow sin to go on because of love, but we can't be legalistic either. So often the church has pushed people away because of their sin. I am not saying we tolerate sin. I am not saying that. In my life, in our small group, we have had issues with people hiding in sin. And when we brought it to light, nobody wanted to do anything about it. And we had to politely, sometimes not politely say, you can't be a part of the small group. Because as a disciple, I'm supposed to be serious about my sin. And if you're claiming to be a disciple, I'm going to hold you to that, that accountability. But we have to do it in love. We don't hold people accountable because we hate them. I hold, I, I don't. I discipline my daughters out of love. Because if I didn't love them, they could do whatever. And I wouldn't care. God is the same way and we have to be the same way. And we have to remember, love fulfills the law. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. We have to love sinners, hate sin, and remember that love fulfills the law. Last point. And if you thought the first two were hard, if I want God to deepen my love, Jesus is going to demonstrate to me that love requires sacrifice. God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That sounds really nice. But when you think about it, God sent his son like a lamb to the slaughter. Love requires sacrifice. John 15. I tried to use a lot of passages out of John because I really wanted to emphasize the fact that he went from thunder to love. And it's evident in his gospel that he purposely writes down things that were hard for him. 
The Samaritan woman at the well was hard for him. The woman caught in the act of adultery was hard for him. This passage had to have been hard for him. It says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I know that John firmly believed this because in 1 John 3.16, he writes, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we'll be confident when we stand before God. Love has a cost. And if you've noticed, John is constantly talking love and truth. I, I highly suggest go back and read through the Gospel of John. It's, it's not that long. You could do it in a week. And then read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Those are really short. You could do it in like an hour, maybe two. And just look at how often he talks about love and truth together. Jesus demonstrates for us that love requires sacrifice. You see, he died. I said that. I'm going to keep saying it. He died. He didn't have to, but he wanted to be in relationship with us. And without his sacrifice, we could not be with God. Without sacrifice, we're still under the law. It's not fulfilled. We are not perfect. Jesus is. He led a perfect life. He went to the cross bearing our sins, died a brutal, painful death. And he was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and conquered death. Today, we have the opportunity to be united with him in his sacrifice. As Christians, we are baptized into his death, into his sacrifice. The waters of baptism wash over us like we are being buried. And we join him in his sacrifice. We join him in his death. But Jesus didn't stay dead. So if we're united with him in his death, why would we think we're just going to stay dead? Because he's alive. And if we're united with him in his death, we're going to be united with him in his life. And just like he came out of the grave, we come out of the waters of baptism washed in his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And we're able to live with him forever because love requires a sacrifice. Demonstrate. Jesus demonstrates that sacrifice. I appreciate what John wrote where he said, we got to love like Jesus. And he didn't just say, you got to die. He also talked about money. So he not only hit us physically, he hit us monetarily. Because I don't know about you, I hold on to my wallet pretty tight. And he's like, if you got money and you see a brother who who's struggling, you do nothing, love's not in you. I have to sacrifice for my family, for this family, to demonstrate my love. Now, it's your first time here. Don't worry. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about Jesus. We didn't get you here to get your money. I, I could care less about your money. We want you to have Jesus. We want you to know that today, today, you can have that opportunity 
to be united with him in that sacrifice, to be united with him in his death, but also united with him in his life, and so that you can live eternally with him. I am so looking forward to seeing everybody else who's gone on before me because I'm going to live eternally with him. I know I am. I know I am because I've accepted that sacrifice that Jesus made and I committed myself in the waters of baptism and I've repented of my old life. And you can too today. You can too. This very day, you can give yourself to God. And for those of us who are Christians today, we can choose to start loving like him if we haven't been. Or if you're like me and you've been trying, but you're like, "Mm, I'm not very good at this. We can try to be better. We can keep working on it. God's going to work on you. If you want this, God's going to work on you. He's going to put you around hard to love people today. Today, you're going to be around somebody who's hard to love. Today. And then you're going to have to remember, hey, love fulfills the law. So I can be forgiving when they mess up. I can I can be graceful and merciful and I can do life like Jesus. And you know, loving people is going to take sacrifice. It's going to take sacrifice. I don't know what God's going to call you to sacrifice to love somebody. It could just be your time. It could be a little bit of gas driving them around. That's a big sacrifice right now. It could be a phone call. Can I tell you phone calls are a sacrifice for me? I don't like talking on the phone. Texting's easier because you don't, you know, no face-to-face. But I call people. There are, there are a handful of people I will just call. I don't know what your sacrifice is going to look like. I just know Jesus came before us and sacrificed everything so he could give us everything. I don't know where you're at today. In your bulletin, there's a, a communication card. There's some boxes you could check if you want to make a commitment to Jesus. It's all anonymous. We don't just go around like the whole church doesn't show up at your house. Hey! But there's a prayer team that will pray over these cards. And they pray over your prayer requests on them. And we're going to sing a few songs. At the end of service, there's baskets in the back. You can put your communication card in. Um, If you're a guest here, you're going to see some of our members putting in their, their offering in the plate. Like I said before, we didn't get you here to get something from you. I really hope that in my unschooled ordinary self that you've gotten something that God has spoken through me to to you today um and I pray that as a church as a church family we can deepen our love we can love the lost we can love sinners while hating sin and that this world will be different because of it let's pray (sighs) father break my heart Break my heart, God. Please heal me and show me how to love like you. Thank you. Thank you for placing me around difficult to love people. Please continue to use me to reveal yourself to them. Remind me daily that I too am a sinner. I am far from perfect, God. You, however, are perfect, and I praise you for that. Help me to be more sacrificial like your son. Every day I want to be more like him. I pray for this church I pray that we are your hands and your feet. I pray that when people see us, they see what you are for more so than what you are against. Help us to love sinners and hate sin and help us to show you and your love to everyone around us. Help us never, never to mix up loving sinners and hating sin. 
Help us, Father, when we don't think we can do it. I am so grateful to be your child. It's in your name I pray. Amen.